0: Loses control of the puck and goes to the far board. Here's Jarrell with a turnaround shot. Deflected to the backboard on the left side. Martin pokes it out in front. O'Shea, a shot and a goal!
1: Welcome to A Shot and a Goal, part of the On The Air Podcast Network. Everything is all right here for my Connecticut studios, my parents' house. So welcome to episode 32 of A Shot and a Goal, the podcast about hockey broadcasters. My name is Jake Baskin. I've been using the same intro and outro for almost 20 episodes. My opening with the Lloyd Pettit clip has been the same for the entire run, and I'm starting to get bored with having the same formula for each episode, minus the interview of course, which takes up the bulk of the show's runtime. I'm the producer of the show, it's a very low budget, no budget operation, so I think over the next few episodes, the ones I record and release before school starts, I'm going to tinker with the intro and outro and see the ways I can make it temporarily less stale to me. I know after I stick with something for a few months I'll get bored and go through this whole process again. As the hockey season is winding down, and I know it's only the second round, but it is starting to wind down, it's almost September. I still have a lot of questions in regards to next season. There are head coach openings in Washington and possibly Calgary. GM openings in Florida and Arizona. The TV broadcast job in Tampa Bay has still not been announced. And then on the ice, I certainly don't think they'll go back to bubbles, but when our fans let back in? Do broadcasters get to travel? Will they once we have a vaccine or do teams choose to cheap out after hearing them call games from a studio? Do the minor leagues even play? I hope so. What hockey will I be able to watch in the offseason? I believe I said this during the pause, but baseball and basketball fans at other leagues are versions of the sport to watch. I think the European leagues start soon, but how much of that will we get on TV here in North America? A lot of stuff people above my pay grade still have to figure out. On to the guest today Bruce Siski is someone I've been following on Twitter for a number of years now, and did think in the back of my mind that he'd be a good guest to have on the podcast. Bruce is the radio voice of the University of Minnesota Duluth Bulldogs, the still two-time defending champions of NCAA Division I men's hockey. He's been with the team outside of one half season since 2005, so we've seen the team get really, really good, and it's called three championships and four frozen fours. We will talk about calling championship games, as well as the reason he missed half a year. We'll also talk about working with an analyst on radio, watching players move on in the NHL, as well as his other media jobs, blogging and hosting a radio show. Bruce and I actually recorded this interview between the third and fourth overtime periods of the Lightning Blue Jackets Quintuple Overtime Game. Bruce, who roots for the Lightning, asked me if I'd be willing to wait to conduct the interview until after the game is over. Then after the third overtime was like, screw it, want to get this done now? So we did, and I think we only missed about six minutes of action in the fourth overtime, and obviously the recording of this podcast did not overlap with Braden Point's goal. So that's good. We do discuss the longest game he has ever worked. If by any chance you're wondering about my answer to that question, I have not actually worked any overtime game in my time with NSN, at least not in hockey. I've only worked four hockey games total there, and the only overtime game I worked was at the high school level, the first hockey game I ever called, between Keene High School, go Blackbirds, and the Lebanon High School Co-op, both in New Hampshire. I believe those were 15-minute periods and an 8-minute overtime. Either way, that game ended in a 5-5 tie. Imagine the first hockey game you ever called being a tie. Still love those guys at Keen though. This is Bruce Siski from the University of Minnesota Duluth on episode 32 of A Shot and a Goal.
0: The draw, Mikey Anderson. Gives him a tie on the half-wall right. A tie away from Farmer's defense. Back up top, Mikey Anderson walks in, he's got room, he scores! Mikey Anderson, it's 2-0 Bulldogs!
1: Hi and welcome to episode 32 of A Shot and a Goal, part of the On the Air Podcast Network. I'm Jake Baskin. With me today, we are finally going back to the college hockey ranks after I don't know how long of an absence from the University of Minnesota Duluth Bulldogs. We have Bruce Siski. How's it going, Bruce?
0: Hi, Jake. Good to Good to be here. It's been. Uh, we've been trying to get this thing done for a while, so we have glad we're finally able to get it done.
1: Yeah, I agree. And we had this interview delayed by about an hour because of the Tampa Columbus overtime game, which is still going. Yeah, as we record this.
0: This, this is nuts, man. I, I'm telling you this was before we started recording. I, I, I the Notre Dame UMass uh, five overtime game a couple of years ago. I listened to that one. I don't know the last time I get to sit back and watch a game like this. And and the only thing that's driving me nuts is Mike Gilder, He keeps wanting it to end. I don't know, he must have a date or something. I don't know.
1: In the bubble in Toronto, I guess so.
0: I yeah, I don't know how that works, but he's got to have something going on that he wants to be out of there. I don't know what that would be.
1: So I'll move this relevant question up to the top. What's the longest game you've ever called?
0: Uh St. Cloud State, we had two, three overtime games against them back in the WCHA days. One was 2007. The other one was 2011. Uh, They were both deciding games of the series. Uh, St. Cloud won the one there in 2007. I think that was slightly longer than the one that was in Duluth in 2011 The UMB won to advance into the Final Five. So, hey, those were two. And honestly, Jake, I have to be honest. I can't remember which one was longer. I think the one in St. Cloud is a couple of minutes longer.
1: How have you been doing during the shutdown and what have you been up to?
0: Uh trying to just kind of make sure everybody's mental health is taken care of, to be honest. And, and that's not a that's not a slight or anything. It's you know, you take him everybody basically out of their routine. I've got elderly parents I'd have to make sure it's taken care of. Because uh, I don't want them out and about very much, and, um, so a lot of that. And I've been working every day. We still haven't shut the office down, so we're still going in every day and create and try to create radio magic for everybody here in the Clint So working and uh, finding things to watch on Netflix, and very happy to have the you know the sport that we all enjoy, you know, back in, in the everyday balance of things. And you know, that's you know, that's baseball, that's hockey, and even a little bit of NBA.
1: When did you decide you wanted to be a sp- uh, sports broadcaster, and what made you want to? Uh,
0: well, what made me want to is the fact I couldn't do anything. Uh, I'm not very athletic. and never was. And so that's kind of what got me into it. I was probably 10 or 11 years old. And, you know, we all have those moments where you realize, yeah, I'm not going to – this isn't going to take you very far in life. And I knew I was going to be a college athlete of any kind. So. I figured this is a good way to stick, you know, stick around the sports. I don't have the patience to coach. I've been reminded of that a few times over the years. So this is a nice spot for me. I can uh, I can still enjoy the games and, and kind of get wrapped up in the games. because so That's the fun part of the whole thing. and I don't have to worry about actually being accountable for what happens out there.
1: So take me through your career path, what you've done so far in your career.
0: So I was in college in Superior, Wisconsin, uw University of Wisconsin. And uh, they have a campus radio station that uh, broadcast, that used to broadcast uh, local high school football. And they're the station in the area that, you know, Maple, Wisconsin is what the high school was. And they did all their games. So they had a guy that would go out on Friday nights, call a game. And I tagged along one year helping with stats, spotting, things like that. And the next year, he was busy with a different gig, so they asked me if I wanted to call the games. I said, sure, I'll call high school football games. So this would have been the fall of 1897. started to call high school football games, really enjoyed it. I don't think I was very good at it, but I really enjoyed doing it. I was still 20 years old, I had no idea what I was doing. And that kind of led to a part-time job with a, a commercial radio station in Duluth, and I've been involved in radio business pretty much ever since. I started doing play-by-play for them. I think it was 1998 and by 2005 I had the UMB job because I basically fell into it. The guy that was doing it had been doing it for 17 years resigned after the first weekend of the year because of a dispute with management and they needed somebody that was in the building that call hockey games. And I was literally the only guy in the building that was available and actually knew how to call hockey games.
1: So you're from the Upper Midwest, Superior, Wisconsin, right over the river? Yep. From Yep, yep. from yep. Duluth.
0: Superior, yep. which is right across a uh, couple of bridges from Duluth. They're, they're called the Twin Ports. It's no it's different for you know a lot of folks that you know Minnesota Little Fargo Moorhead. Think. They're basically one city separated by a river. East Grand Forks, Grand Forks, kind of the same things. One city separated by a river. Duluth Superior. They're different. They're separate cities, but they're really the same area just separated by a a harbor and a couple of bridges that connect them. And I grew up in Superior, went to high school, graduated in Superior, went to college in Superior for a couple of years, and eventually migrated over here when I got married, and I've been living in Minnesota ever since.
1: How much college hockey did you watch before getting the job, and were you a UMD fan?
0: Uh, We were actually UMD season ticket holders when I got the job in 2005. And uh, so we – Eventually, we'd give up one of our seats and go back down to two because my wife and son only needed two seats. But uh, they, kept, they kept season tickets until probably, you know, 2009 or 10. Basically, as we moved into Amso, we had to give up our tickets because of Hunter's hockey schedule. But, uh, yeah, we were season ticket holders for, I want to say, close to a decade uh, into the round when I got the job. So they were at all the home games and I was calling games. That was, that was great fun.
1: So you actually lost the job for a year from what I read before getting it back. What did you do in the interim?
0: <laughs> oh, you've done very good research. Uh, so I actually didn't lose it for a full year. Uh, I lost it for about half a season. It was December, 2008. My radio position was eliminated and I no longer was calling the games. They had a different guy call the rest of that season. And the stations that were carrying games changed. They actually had a contract changeover, and a different company got the rights to UMD Sports starting in the fall of 2009. So, at the start of the o- so I lost the job during the 0809 season, They're pretty close to the halfway mark, and it was doing it again at the start of the 200910 season. So I missed crap about half a season, but it sucked. It was awful. It was a terrible adjustment. I hated it. I went to games as much as I could. I covered games as much as I could. I was working for AOL all the time. They actually let me cover some of the playoff games that year, which was great because I got to be around the team a little bit. But uh, that was an absolute card moment in my adult life that I don't want to relive anymore than I just did. <laughs>
1: <laughs> What's your travel schedule like? How much do you travel with the team? And in addition to that, because of previous guests, I have asked this, do you call any women's games?
0: games i thoroughly enjoy calling women's games i would probably do more if uh, the schedules lined up a little bit better than they already do and they actually have uh, they actually string their own games and they have a separate guy to call little games so if uh if he's not available i try to fill in for him whenever there's a doubleheader weekend where the men and women are both at home i'll i'll catch a couple of games here and there i go to as many games as i can i, I love the i love watching that team play um as far as uh, my schedule, I if the team's on the road, I'm on the road. If uh, if they're if they fly somewhere, I will go with them. If they drive somewhere, I will drive myself. I'll go separately. And but yeah, I've uh, there's one road series that I missed on purpose, and that was this past season. I didn't make the Merrimack trip because my son was a senior, and it was the weekend of his last tournament uh, that he was going to play in as a hockey player because we knew he was going to be done after the season. And I didn't want to miss the last tournament, so I worked it out that we had. We took the feed from the Merrimack guys. John and Mike did a great job that weekend. And I just kind of sat back and, and watched the games on their video stream and, and was ready to take over if I had to, if there was an issue with the audio feed. But uh, other than that, I sat and listened to those games and, and kind of uh, took that in a different way that weekend.
1: UMD has obviously had a very successful team as of late, and you've been behind the microphone for four Frozen Fours now, including three in a row might have been four in a row had this year actually come to a completion and three victories in those four years. How do you prepare for calling a game on that stage? And have the nerves lessened a bit the more the second, the third, the fourth time you did
0: it? I think they have. Um, first off, I, I count my blessings whenever I do a game. It doesn't matter what, you know, it's an exhibition game or a, con- a non-conference game or, you know, you know, some mundane league game in Kalamazoo. It, it's uh, it's a blessing to have that job. And it's a special time when when this team gets into the NCAA tournament. Actually, uh, I was actually I sitting in Sioux Falls before uh, the regional that they had there in 2018. And, uh, I was hanging out with the TV guy that was there from uh, from Duluth, and we were going to go grab dinner when he was done doing his live shots. I'm sitting there looking at the boards. of course, you get the NCAA stickers are all up on the boards. So I'm just looking at Minnesota Duluth sitting there, and I'm thinking back at how many times I've been able to go to a game and see those boards the way that they are for the NCAA's, and just how special it is to be a part of this program right now and what, how you know, how good they've been for a pretty sustained period of time. Preparing for those games, I think it's gotten easier. Uh, and I remember the UMass, they had the UMass game in 2019. I've told people this story before. I don't think this is new for anybody who knows me. But I was pretty open about, with my family and some friends that Saturday during the day, as I'm sitting in the hotel watching the the UMass video that was available to me on the ESPN app, I just kept thinking to myself, I I think we've got this. And I had never felt that confident going into a championship game before. Never. Mm -hmm. It 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 was almost weird. I almost had to try to talk myself into thinking that I was wrong. And of course, as you all know, it turned out that that was exactly what happened. It was, it was UMB's game for pretty much the outset that Saturday night. So I, I think it's gotten a little bit easier to prepare. It's gotten a little less nerve wracking, but it's still those days, you know, the game days of the Frozen Four, Jake, are, they're so invigorating. They're so exciting. And I hope that that part never leaves.
1: I've actually sent the press box for the women's Frozen Four when it was here in Connecticut in 2019. And I've covered regionals, but I've never had that opportunity to especially be on a broadcast for anything that important. So I bet that's pretty cool. I, I
0: remember uh, last year, the Frozen Four, you might remember John Butchergrass helped kind of fundraise. i wish not sure the kid's name, but the young man from Providence, their student broadcaster, um, was trying to fundraise so we could go on the trip because they wouldn't pay for it. And John Butchergrass helped him out and he was able to get there. And I remember, I remember meeting him at the Frozen Four in Buffalo, and that was one of the things I said was, you know, make sure no matter what happens This before the game, I said no matter what happens in this game, take some time and soak this in because you might never get here again. You might be here every year for 20 years. You don't know right now. I don't know if I'm ever going to get to a Frozen Four again, and that was my biggest regret in 2011, the first one I got to go to because I didn't enjoy it enough. I've made darn sure the blast three to stop and smell the roses and enjoy myself wherever it is.
1: What do you remember about the call of the 2011 overtime goal?
0: Uh, my analyst, Craig Caracas, I thought it was going to break the equipment. Um, that's one thing I do remember. And, and then the other thing that sticks in my mind is uh, Jason Hajdu, who was the sports information guy at North Dakota at the time, uh, he was at the game and, and he made sure to walk into that booth and congratulate us. Like we were out there on the ice ourselves. He was so happy to see, you know, Minnesota Duluth win that first championship and, and to be able to do it against a powerhouse like Michigan. But, but Jason, it was such a class thing to do. And him and I have been friends for a while, but that's a moment that I'll never forget because it was something he didn't have to do. And it, it meant the world to me at the time because it was, it, there's so few people up there from Duluth because everyone's rushing down to get on the ice. So you can't really share it at the moment with the people that you've been working with from the Duluth media all year long. And it was, it was nice to have somebody else to share it with for even 30 seconds.
1: You're a rarity among hockey radio broadcasters, especially at the college level in that you have an analyst and an ex player analyst at that working with you and Craig Caracas. How do you incorporate a color commentator on radio? Uh, my
0: philosophy is if the talks in the neutral zone or if it's in UMD's defensive zone and there's something I need input on, I'm going to go to him. Um, and that's, it, it's, it's been that way, I think, for a while. I kind of developed that over time because I figured out that he needed to talk more than he was when games are flowing the way that you hope that they flow. and When there's a whistle, I'm going to reset time and score, and he's going to get an opportunity to talk. Uh, almost every time. It, it, you know, if I haven't had to read, then that's obviously a little different scenario, but if uh, if I'm able to, he's going to get a chance to talk every time there's a whistle, and then if, you know, play's flowing for a while, and then there's something I need input on, I'm going to go to him as much as I can, because, you know, he's there because he's smarter than I am. He knows the game more than I do, and he's going to help the audience learn something about the game through what he's going to tell them, and i got to let him do that part of the job.
1: Tell me about your time as a blogger. Did writing about hockey help you at all with calling it?
0: A little bit. It helped me kind of – I don't say it helped me see things more clearly. My kid playing the game really helped me see things more clearly. Um, But it, it helped me articulate what I was seeing during the game. So when I'm on the road by myself, it's not just, you know, straight what's happening. I can actually, you know, give a little bit of analysis. It's not too much because I don't want to get that much into the weeds, but at least I can help a little bit, you know, give people an understanding at home, what's happening in a game when I'm by myself.
1: Of all the hats you wear, play by play, hosting a radio show, writing, what do you enjoy most about each and which, if you have one, is your favorite?
0: Play by play is my favorite. Uh, it, it, there's, there's no better feeling than, than being able to call a game and get wrapped up in a moment, whatever that moment might be. Uh, you know, as far as writing I enjoy being you know, that side of things and being able to communicate after a game. It, it actually helps me kinda you know, especially after a tough game or a, a, a you know, particularly exciting game even it can help me decompress, which you know, games are at night. You get back to a hotel, you get back to your home, you wanna go to bed, get some sleep, you can be up and ready to go the next day when you likely have to call another game. So writing about a game a lot of times it helped me kind of decompress everything that happened in the game so that i can actually get to sleep and have a productive day the next day so that that, that alone has made that a lot of fun and it's also helped me interact with people which i do tend to enjoy as long as it's not you know the, sometimes twitter can be quite successful, but if you use it in the right way especially during games it can be a lot of fun to interact with fans especially Bulldog fans very passionate group of people. Uh, and the, the radio show is is great in that regard too. And it also allows me a little more long form opportunities with people that I respect and I know in the analyst world and in the hockey world. You can get people on for, you know, 15 20 minutes sometimes and really pick their brains about things happening in sport.
1: What do you talk about on your show?
0: Uh, it's a lot of hockey during hockey season. It's a lot of UMD sports during UMD season. We you know, typically get a couple of coaches and uh, at least one or two student athletes on the show every week uh, when they're in season. Obviously, that's not happening right now, but uh, it's a lot of that. And once in a while, we'll, uh, we'll go into the political weeds because politics is always fascinated especially local politics. So we got a couple of news people we talk to once in a while for that. Uh, otherwise it's a lot of sports and it's you know one or two guests a show and it's a lot of analysts writers that that can help break things down analyze things and and give people a better understanding of what they're seeing
1: i have never hosted a radio show i don't think i'd enjoy it as much as a lot of people do but i have written mostly about hockey and i have done play-by-play of a lot of sports and I certainly agree with you that play-by-play is my absolute favorite thing to do. Uh,
0: it's, it's the best thing to be able to do. It's, it's just, it's so much fun. <laughs> I'm glad I fell into it.
1: UMD has sent players to the NHL since long before I was born, like Chico Resch and Dave Langevin and Brett Hull. But in your time with the team, you've watched a lot of players come through Duluth and make it to the NHL. Does that add any further excitement to your job? And how much do you keep in contact with players after they move on?
0: in phone contact with some guys. Uh, I try not to be the guy who's bugging them all the time, but if I uh, if you know, if I see somebody do something special, I'm gonna drop a text or a Facebook message, you know, just to congratulate them. You know, let them know I'm still thinking about them. And but yeah, it, it's you know, not long after uh, we got Direct TV, which was like 2006 or so, we started getting center rights every year. It was so much fun to be able to track the guys that were uh, that were making it to the NHL and get to watch them play at that level. And, Frankly, it still is. You know, I, I I started out all the guys that were on the you know the training camp rosters uh, around the league, and, you know, I, I was, my kid and I were just talking here about, you know, like the Boston Bruins. They're not my favorite team, but last year, once Carson Coleman got in that Bruins lineup, that was the team I was going to thank for. I, I very much wanted to see them win the Stanley Cup, and, frankly, you know, wouldn't mind seeing that again. Carson Coleman is a tremendous individual and, and somebody that I will root for. I don't care where he is.
1: I'm an Islanders fan, but if they don't win, I want to see someone from the state of Connecticut lift the cup.
0: Yep. We got to, we got to go to Virginia a couple of years ago in the Capitals, one that Niskanen and had it there. Uh, I've said I don't care how many times I see it. If there's, a, if there's a guy from around here that wins it and has a public event, I'm going to do what I can to go to it. I, I don't care how old I am. I don't care how many times I get to see it. It's the Stanley Cup, man. It's, uh, <laughs> it doesn't get better than that. It's real special to see any time you get to see it.
1: You talked about high school football, but what other sports besides hockey have you called?
0: I uh, see football. Uh, football, probably the one I've done the most and the one that I've enjoyed the most outside of hockey. Uh, I've done baseball. I've done basketball. Those are the only sports I've done. I've actually there's been a couple times we kicked around the idea doing some soccer. It never came about. And same thing with volleyball, it, never, it just never came to fruition. It's not that I don't want to, it's, it's just the opportunity didn't present itself at the right time. So, uh, those are the, the, the big four, I guess you can call them football, hockey, baseball, basketball, are the four that I've done.
1: I've done volleyball. Volleyball is really fun. But you know what's really, really fun? Lacrosse. I love working lacrosse when I get that opportunity.
0: Few years. It's, uh, yeah, lacrosse is a lot of fun. I, I, I guess I should have mentioned that one. That's a good call on your part. That would be another one that uh, I haven't done yet and haven't had a chance to do yet. But uh, somebody asked me to, and the opportunity was right. I certainly would jump in if I could.
1: Last question Do you have any long term or end goals for your career, or as the voice of a college hockey powerhouse, are you pretty much set where you are?
0: Look, I, I'm not going to lie. If, if the right opportunity presented itself i'd certainly take a look at it um that said i love living where i do i love the people i'm around my family's all here and as long as that's the case you know i i, I feel i don't feel like i'm uh, stuck here or anything like that i really enjoy it here i enjoy the people i work with uh, with umb and I, it's not like i'm sitting here actively trying to find something else so you know i, it, I that might not be much of an answer, but that's the best I can do for you. I'm not looking, but I'm also not going to hang up the phone or somebody calls
1: me. All right, Bruce. Glad we could finally get this done. The game is still going in quadruple over time as, <laughs> as we finish this recording. Thank you for finally coming on. Have a great Bye. rest of your day, and I hope I get this interview out soon.
0: Keep grinding, Jake. Thanks a lot for doing this. we will be appreciated.
1: That was Bruce Siski the radio voice of the University of Minnesota Duluth. Thanks to him for coming on. You know, I grew up a fan of the Minnesota Golden Gophers hockey team. I never much cared for UMD. I've become much less of a fan of teams in general, so it's easier if, when, I get a broadcasting job somewhere. Bruce might have known that already, but I didn't tell him, and if he knew, he didn't hold it against me. That'll do it for episode 32 of A Shot and a Goal. You can follow me on Twitter at jakebaskinpxp. I also own the handle at a shot and a goal, though I just used that to retweet myself. Up next, we have a guest that I've wanted to land for quite some time, and I jumped on the bandwagon by messaging him the day he landed an NHL job. You may have guessed this already. I'm talking about Everett Fitzhugh, the new voice of the Seattle Kraken. After Everett, you'll hear from Billy Jaffe and Cam McGuire. See you on Friday.